Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Part 2, Episode 9, Standing Rules, 1931. As the Committee for the Promotion of the Dedication of Christian Science Edifices in Seattle began its second year, there was a round of discussion about rules. The fact that the Joint Dedication Committee was still going was a testament to its success. Having survived the threat of withdrawal by individual churches midway through its first year, the renewed commitment to continue this activity had an energizing effect. Some of that energy was put into consideration of the details of its organization. As the year 1931 began, some committee members wanted a more formalized structure with standing rules. Standing rules had already become something of a tradition among the Seattle Branch churches for joint activities. In 1918, at a joint board meeting at Fourth Church of Christ Scientist, they hammered out general guidelines, which had been followed since then with some occasional refinements. They developed rules about eligibility, responsibility, rotation in office, budgets, meeting times, office space, leases, operating hours, and hiring employees. The branch church representatives on the joint committees wrote the rules, and then the boards at all the branch churches approved them or responded with their own recommendations for the committee to consider. Sometimes it took a few rounds to reach agreement. The decision of the majority of church boards prevailed. The most significant decisions like entering new office space leases, sometimes were approved by the full membership bodies of the branch churches. Each joint committee reported monthly to the branch church boards. There were frequent communications between branch church boards and the joint committees, often about standing rules. And so, following standard local practices, the joint dedication committee drafted standing rules and sent them to the church boards for approval. Some boards quickly approved the rules at their first meeting in January and then moved on to the next tasks of the dedication work, writing an announcement for the third Sunday collection and planning inspirational meetings for the members at their own churches to arouse united interest in the dedication of all the Seattle churches. However, at Fourth Church, instead of approving the rules, the board responded with a recommendation— and one that questioned the whole approach. They referred to the November 23, 1929 Christian Science Sentinel, which included an open letter from the Christian Science Board of Directors in Boston to the New York branch churches and a general statement to the whole field. In the statement, the directors praised the united efforts for joint dedication in New York seeming to encourage the kind of coordinated mortgage payments the Seattle churches were also doing. However, a section on the best means of procedure for such efforts was less affirming of the way they had been doing things in Seattle. 
the Boston officials had stated that it would seem wise that there be no central fund and no restrictions put on the contributions, giving the receiving church the freedom to decide how to apply the funds, which was how the Seattle churches were already working. But Boston officials further recommended not having any formal committee or organization for joint dedication. After deciding which branch has the greatest need for support, there is no further need to meet. Each branch church should simply send their contributions directly to the treasurer of that church. In line with the guidance from Boston, the Fourth Church Board recommended that joint dedication not be a formal committee with a chair, regular meetings, and standing rules. Instead, meetings should be called as needed, a chair elected to run that meeting only, and at the end of each meeting, the committee dissolves. The chair of the last meeting would call the next meeting when needed. No standing rules should be formulated for joint dedication because that would make it a formal committee. Shortly after, there was a letter exchange between Fourth Church and the Mother Church about joint dedication, which apparently affirmed the Fourth Church opinion. The other branch churches went along with the recommendation. The Joint Dedication Committee designated Fifth Church to be the next beneficiary of cooperative funds, starting in February and continuing until Fifth Church was dedicated. There being no further reason to meet until that goal was achieved, the committee was dissolved. Fifth Church was in the Rainier Valley in the southeast end of Seattle at 4709 36th Avenue South near Alaska Street. Its neoclassical masonry building, with its 500-seat auditorium, had been built in 1922 for the comparatively low cost of $23,000. But its comparatively small congregation still had much of that amount to pay off. Following the new, more flexible approach to joint dedication, contributions to Fifth Church varied widely. Fourth Church decided to give only the excess from the third Sunday collection, beyond which they needed for their own church operations, which amounted to $95 the first month. Seventh Church gave $50. Eleventh Church, $10. Third Church decided not to pay anything until the new tile in their foyer was fully paid for. Considering the small amounts being given to Fifth Church each month, it could be a very long time before its dedication, which also meant a very long time before the Joint Dedication Committee had reason to meet again. Joint dedication in Los Angeles and New York were mentioned in the June 27, 1931 Sentinel, coincidentally involving 31 churches in both areas. These metropolitan regions provided examples of a much larger scale of cooperation than that of the 12 churches in Seattle. It is a great joy to report the dedication of one of our churches during the past year, read the field report from New York. Several other churches are rapidly nearing the point of dedication. The October 3rd Sentinel included an article called Church Dedication by Frida Cohen, a Christian science practitioner from New York City, describing their united effort. As explained by Mrs. Cohen, dedication was about more than merely paying off debt. 
It represented a spiritualization of thought among the church members that necessarily would result in release from the illegitimate bondage of financial fetters. Their joint dedication activity was purely metaphysical and individual. Their work involved honest self-examination and purification of thought to exterminate from consciousness all that is unlike the Christ and in this way demonstrate unity and unencumbered church edifices. Other joint activities were mentioned in the Sentinel as gratifying proof of the increasing unity among Christian scientists. The Los Angeles Joint Dedication Committee was in direct communication with the Seattle Committee about the details of their work. For church members in Seattle, simply knowing that similar efforts were happening elsewhere was affirming and encouraging. It proved that joint dedication was a right idea. This was important to the proponents of the Seattle activity because apparently not all church members were certain that it was an appropriate thing for a Christian Science Branch church to do. Yet joint dedication had happened in Chicago when Reverend Mary Baker Eddy was still personally involved in the church. Chicago had special significance in the history of the Christian Science Branch Church movement. It was the only place beyond Boston that Reverend Eddy ever visited to teach Christian science. And from her class in 1884 sprang First Church of Christ Scientists Chicago with its large membership and majestic cathedral at 4017 Drexel Boulevard. When this first Chicago church was dedicated in 1897, Reverend Eddy sent them the longest dedicatory letter she would ever write to a branch church. Second Church at Wrightwood and Pine Grove Avenues received a dedicatory letter from Eddy in 1901, in which she shared, My heart hovers around your churches in Chicago. In 1904, when six branch churches in Chicago united in giving a gift of $10,000 to the branch church in Concord, New Hampshire, a building project Eddie was personally involved with, she wrote again to thank the Chicago members, attributing their prosperity to unity, the bond of perfectness, the thousandfold expansion that will engirdle the world. Unity, which unfolds the thought most within us into the great and better, the sum of all reality and good. This unity is reserved wisdom and strength. It builds upon the rock against which envy, enmity, or malice beat in vain. Seventh Church in Chicago was formed in 1907 from the overflow from Second Church at the recommendation of a Joint Committee for Church Extension in Chicago. Seventh Church built an edifice with a 1,500-seat auditorium at 5318 Kenmore Avenue between Berwyn and Balmoral Avenues, completed in 1908 at the cost of $120,000. Through the loving cooperation of all the Christian Science churches in Chicago, a Christian Science Journal article explained, 
The edifice was completely paid for and dedicated two years after completion. When Mary Baker Eddy heard of this united effort, she asked her corresponding secretary to send them a congratulatory letter. They received this. Your declarations of fidelity and gratitude, attested by good works, are refreshing to your leader, who wishes me to convey her tender love to all the faithful ones of Seventh Church. Chicago's cooperative support of Branch Church expansion continued. Eighth Church started a building project on Michigan Avenue at 44th Street on July 27, 1910, towards which the seven other Chicago churches contributed freely and generously. Eighth Church received this message from Boston. Our leader desires me to assure you of her appreciation of your affirmations of loyalty and gratitude, and to say that she rejoices with you over the evidences of your growth your letter contains, which she fully approves. She further wishes me to convey to your faithful members her tender love and remembrance. The edifice for Eighth Church was completed on June 25, 1911, with dedication on November 23, 1913. The dedicatory announcement included, To the Christian scientists of Chicago, whose loving assistant has made possible the early completion of this edifice, we give our assurance of our deepest appreciation of their splendid manifestation of Christian fellowship during the trying times of our church building, bound to us in kindred hopes and purposes, worshiping with us the same God, divine love. Your joy is not less than ours that this demonstration has been completed and that this church, free from indebtedness, is given to the service of mankind. Eddie's approval of Chicago's joint dedication which was put on record in her book, First Church of Christ Scientist and Miscellany, and the indirect statements of support in the Christian Science Journal, could have been mentioned in renewed discussions about joint dedication in Seattle. Boston officials had written to the New York churches, We see its greatest value in the establishment and maintenance of that unity and brotherly love among church members which are so essential to permanent growth in Christian science. The Christian Science Board of Directors had not forbidden dedication committee meetings. They had only stated what seemed wise to them. The Sentinel Notice also included encouragement for branch church initiatives. We want you to think of the Mother Church not merely in terms of authority or of restraint, but of forthcoming approval and support in every worthy undertaking that conforms with our leader's demonstrated form of church government. However it came to be, and for whatever reason, in July, Second Church of Christ Scientist in Seattle, the Little Church in Ballard, took the initiative to call for a meeting of the Joint Dedication Committee for the purpose of making a more united effort toward dedication in this field. The reconvened committee met on September 26th in the Joint Literature Distribution Office in the Empire Building, 
with the thought, the work of this committee be continued. Afterwards, Mrs. Rice, the secretary of the committee, sent a letter with five new recommendations to the church boards for their consideration. Also around this time, the issue arose as to whether to include branch churches outside of Seattle in the joint activities. They were already including those technically outside the municipal boundaries of Seattle in unincorporated areas, but these were technically considered to be Seattle churches. Now there was a nearby branch church in a different municipality that was separated from Seattle by a water body. Mercer Island, in Lake Washington, was just to the east of Seattle, named after Judge Thomas Mercer, one of the first settlers of European ancestry to the Seattle area. The island had been sparsely populated because accessible only by ferry until the first bridge to Seattle opened in 1923. Now rapidly developing, it had a Christian Science Society that was newly incorporated in expectation of building. Third Church recommended that Mercer Island be included. In November, after approval by a majority of the Seattle churches, the Mercer Island Society was officially invited into all the joint activities. Another question was whether branch churches should be allowed to participate in joint activity meetings if not paying pro rata for monthly financial support for those activities. Around this time, Sixth Church sent a notice of withdrawal from all joint activities. Other branches were struggling to make monthly payments, often paying their obligations late. Some members wondered how the joint activities could continue without reliable financial support from all the churches. The financial burden for some joint activities was being carried on almost entirely by a few churches, or even one. Ultimately, they decided to allow all the churches the privilege of participating in all joint activities, regardless of financial contribution, just as they had already decided for joint dedication. While all these discussions about standing rules and inclusion had been going on, any remaining hope of quick economic recovery was crushed the American economy continued its downward trend. In the summer of 1931, there was another wave of bank failures. Unemployment rates rose to alarming levels. It was becoming clear that unlike previous economic depressions, this one was continuing, and continuing to get worse. But financial systems were not the only global crisis. It seemed there was one natural disaster after another that year. A hurricane in Santo Domingo, an earthquake in New Zealand, a volcanic eruption in Java. The most severe drought of the century triggered an emergency situation of epic proportions throughout America's Great Plains, causing widespread crop failures and massive dust blizzards that choked and buried whole towns, turning America's fruitful breadbasket into a barren dust bowl. Ongoing relief work was already being organized by the Mother Church throughout war-torn Europe, in China, 
and in those regions of the United States affected by extreme heat waves. And now they set up relief funds for these newest crises. The most extensive relief work Christian scientists were involved with that year was to help people suffering in the lower Mississippi Valley. At annual meeting of the Mother Church that year, it was reported that because of help offered by the church, people in that part of the country were being introduced to Christian science for the first time. Seattle church members were always ready to support funding requests from the Mother Church as top priority, and they made very generous contributions to the relief funds from Sunday church collections, usually from the third Sunday, which might otherwise have gone to joint dedication. Despite the new energy surrounding the Joint Dedication Committee in 1931, including the supportive initiative by Second Church midway through the year, and Mrs. Rice's efforts to gain support for the committee's proposed standing rules, the Joint Dedication Committee became inactive. Donations for Fifth Church dedication continued as churches were able to contribute, sometimes only a few dollars at a time. Until Fifth Church was dedicated, there was no reason to call any more meetings. Furthermore, the kind of inspirational meetings related to dedication that had been happening in Seattle may have suddenly seemed inappropriate due to a change of messaging from Boston officials. In 1932, the Christian Science Board of Directors published a statement in the Sentinel objecting to the holding of metaphysical meetings, so-called on the basis that nowhere in the church manual or anywhere in the writings of their leader, Mary Baker Eddy, was there any reference to this type of meeting. Regarding extra meetings to promote the welfare of the church, the Boston directors then touched on some specific examples of activity that they felt was appropriate or inappropriate. The statement seemed to have a dampening effect on any extra church meetings under any name in Seattle. But perhaps the biggest reason the branch churches shifted their attention away from local church dedication was a different request from Boston. This one related to a bigger and more expensive building project than had ever been done in the history of Christian science, and the branch churches were expected to pay for it. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.